Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Uh, transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has, been, has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comp is the industry's trusted, uh, trusted solutions for transparent <laughs> equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to, brought to you by Anvil AppWorks, their Dealer Connect CRMI app. With integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create a connected customer experience and transform how you work. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's back this uh, this today to talk about what's happening in the uh, overall marketplace. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Casey. Really, really good. It is... Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff going on right now. So you had I saw a meme the other day that kind of made me chuckle. Um, it was showing the uh, had a guy going down a slide, um, uh, a water slide, and it was like you know this was whatever July beans, and it was you know took off sliding down, so it got to August, and you know then it had the September report come out, and then he's going off the end, shooting way up in the air, and you know September was the report, so it's way up in the sky. Um, it has been a topsy turvy. Um, very volatile marketplace for for most commodities um, across the board this year. And whether we're talking oil or corn or soybeans or whatever it is we're talking about, you've seen some really, really big highs and some pretty big sell-offs and things are kind of starting to come back up right now, Sean. So I guess kind of reflecting back on what you saw in August and, and what you've seen so far in September, what are your thoughts on the overall commodity market and and, and how do you how do you suspect to see this continue through the end of the year? Well, 
I mean, I kind of feel an overall commodities may was like an important top for a while. Um, that's when the Fed really started to put the screws on, really right. started to raise interest rates, still really started to tighten things up. Um, and you know, whenever they start to do that and the dollar started to take off, um, you know, I think that was kind of a, a pretty good top for a while. And so we're in some kind of a commodity correction um, that I think is going to last into spring, summer of next year. Now, it's not a straight line down. You're going to have rallies like we just had, you know, from early August into late September that we correctly forecasted. We thought we would see. Um, but, you know, I, I don't you know, I, I think we're going to be in a, in a I, I don't think the Fed's going to take their foot off the pedal you know, until probably sometime um, later on in the first quarter or into the second quarter. And that's at which point, you know, the markets can kind of think about bottoming and starting to turn up based depending on what markets are talking about, what's going on with the weather, um, geopolitics, that sort of thing. So um, I kind of feel like where we're at is if you're a producer of agriculture, you know, you just need to continue to be a seller on these rallies that we get from time to time. Cause I don't see a, you know, a, a runaway advance higher like we had from 2000, 2022. I see more of a trading range with a with a downward trend into next summer. Um, so right now, you know, I think we're nearing a, one of these interim tops again, you know, where grain markets are reaching kind of a, a high water mark. And, you know, I think it's time to be for producers to start thinking about making some cash sales. You know, if they listen to our recommendation in May to do that, this is another good opportunity you know, it doesn't mean there won't be another opportunity to sell, but I just think this is a good opportunity to sell. I mean, we've, we've traded the, the idea that U.S. crops are smaller. Um, you know, we've traded the idea that maybe the the corridor deals uh, is in question a little bit. Um, you know, we're trading a little weather down in South America, but I, I think we've traded most of what we can trade now. And now, you know, it's, there's gonna we're going to hit the pause button again. The Fed's going to raise rates again next week, Casey. You know, it looks yeah. like they're going to do a you know another three quarters. Some are saying they could do a full, full percent. Really, really hard for asset markets, including stocks, by the way. Right. You know, to, to to make consistent moves higher while <laughs> they're doing that. Very, very difficult. And look at the stock market. We had this rally, and then all of a sudden, down a thousand points in one day. So I think that's where we're in. We're in a trading range environment, but with a general trend to the downside. And I think the next important bullish turning point for overall commodities and agriculture is going to be late spring, summer of next year. I think that's what I would be looking at where markets could actually start to trend higher again for an extended period of time. So. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about what you see happening with, with oil right now. So, I mean, oil is kind of a hot button. I mean, it's back and forth. There's some, um, you get to the right right place here so I can talk to you about it here. So when you're looking at at like oil and you're looking at Brent crude right now, Brent crude's trading right just above um 91 at 91.50 in, in West Texas is right about 85 or so, mid 85s. They've been holding pretty steady right there. I mean, um you've heard a lot of analysts say that the price of oil um typically should be worth between 85 and 90 bucks right now and it's kind of staying in that in that range so looking at oil right now with all the things we see happening you saw an article come out uh, this morning about um germany uh seized three um 
refineries in Germany that were owned by Russian subsidiaries. So I guess as you kind of look and see what's going on there, they're they're grasping for straws because until Russia shut down the Nord Stream pipeline. So I I guess I guess as you're looking at oil right now, what are your thoughts there and energy going into harvest and in the end of the year? Well, my big thing is what happens after the elections. Do we right. you know, how much more of our strategic petroleum reserves are we willing to, to dump? You know, uh, are we willing to dump it to zero? Are we going to zero? Are we going to stop halfway down? I forgot. I don't even know how much we've drawn down so far, but it's been a ton. Um, that's the only reason why we're at 85. You know, if we hadn't sold any of that strategic petroleum reserve, you know, we would be, you know, considerably higher. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people are misconstruing, in my opinion, the crude oil prices. Oh, this is a sign of deflation. It's a sign of the terrible economy. That would be true if there wasn't this depression of stumping strategic petroleum reserves. I would agree with them. Right. But we have this artificial depressant that's creating a false signal. And my view is, you know, that can't, that won't last forever because eventually, even if they want to sell it all, they'll run out. And if once that happens, then then the market needs to normalize to real supply and demand. And so, you know, I think we've gotten down to a level where demand is willing to buy all that the government is willing to sell plus what the production was. And I think it'll clear the market out. At, at, you know, we could argue it could go to 80 or 75, but somewhere in here it's going to clear the market out. And I think once that overhang is over from the SPR, you know, we're going to try to have to find some higher level to rebalance the market. So I always felt this was all a political um, decision to, to unload that strategic reserve. And so once the need for that is over, I would think the politicians are going to stop. You know, that was just, that's just my general, you know, I'm no geopolitical expert, but I just feel that makes make sense to me that we might see some kind of a significant rise in energy prices and crude maybe, you know, after the elections. And of course, winter is coming, heating oil demand for, you know, a lot, a lot of reasons suggest that, you know, maybe something post early November could see some, some better prices. Yeah. Do you think anything that, I mean, oil prices still kind of, they still have the Russia situation baked, baked into the, into the scenario. Correct. I mean, it's not, there's nothing, there's no news that's going to come out of Ukraine or Russia that's going to change the price of oil, right? Not that I can see. Yeah, no. me either. Okay. Not that All I right. can see. <clears throat> All right. Let's jump down and take a look what's happening with cotton. Cotton has had a uh, really run up. I mean, we're up in the 150s for a while. Now we're down to just above a dollar, <clears throat> dollar a pound. John, looking at cotton right now, I mean, there's, there's some, there's some high, some, some good activity out there right now. We've seen a a really big decline in cotton over the last uh, last thirty days. What's there? You've talked about that uh, and what you saw happen with the price of cotton and how that was going to uh, see maybe a, a an early fall rally, and then um, kind of like you talked about other commodities where you're going to see more of a sell off and more of a normalization there. Looking at cotton right now, exposed to what we see happening with interest rates and those kind of things, and as far as the economy goes. Do you expect to see cotton to, to to kind of stay right here where we're at, or do you expect it to, to continue to slide throughout the rest of the year? We put a chart out in our last um, report, Casey, where we showed the price of cotton, U.S. cotton price, relative to the price of Chinese cotton prices. Um, 
let, let's let's just put it right out there. The only reason, the only the, the we sell all our cotton to the Chinese. I mean, that's just what we do. Yeah, we sell to a few other people, but I mean, they are the buyer of our cotton. If they don't buy, our price goes down. If they buy, our price goes up. Um, and so they're not going to buy cotton uh, when it's at a premium in the U.S. versus the, you know what it is domestically there. They're not going to buy any. So remember, we had that big decline into 85 from 120, 130 because of worries over the economy. Then the U.S. state came out and said, we have no cotton. So we ran up to 115, 120. But then everyone looked at the Chinese cotton price and said, my gosh, we're trading at a record premium to Chinese prices. They're not going to buy any cotton. And then we got the export numbers out this week and they didn't buy any cotton, um, which is what the market needed to do. They were trying to ration demand, right? right? So I just don't see how the cotton market can go up appreciably until either it falls enough to where it's back into parity or at a discount to Chinese cotton prices or until the Chinese cotton price improves to trade at a premium to the U.S. cotton price, meaning the only way that the, you're, you're going you're gonna to catch a bid in the cotton market is when the Chinese are ready to buy a lot. And the only reason they're going to buy a lot is if they get a better deal buying U.S. cotton and shipping it over there, you know, net to them after shipping costs. When I look at the numbers, you know, it says we need to be at 85 cents in order to be able to have them do that. Now, of course, you know, I don't know what, you know, their prices can move around. You know, we, we look at this every day, but I, I just, if you think about this relationship, U.S. cotton to Chinese cotton, I think it will guide you to what needs to happen. Um, right now, the cotton market is fine with uh, cutting off Chinese exports. At the same time, it doesn't want to cut them off to zero. <laughs> if right. we cut them off to zero, right. then we have a heck of a lot more ending stocks than we thought. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's a delicate dance. I think the market got carried away. It realized it went way too far and it's quickly trying to recalibrate back down. Maybe, you know, not down so low that we get too much exports, but down to a level where we get some exports. And you look at the cotton price and we're crashing and burning. We're almost under a dollar a pound now. And we were at $50, $15.18 just a week and a half ago. So, right. so I, that's the guiding principle we're <clears> using <throat> in the cotton market right now. And I think if you keep following that relationship, you'll kind of have a good feeling of when the cotton market ought to be bottoming. But our best guess is that re a retest of 85 that from what we did before is probably what we need to do to find the right balance right now. That's my guess. Right on. Okay. All right. Let's talk about um, various, you know, palm oil, soybean oil, ethanol, um, all those kind of things that all kind of come together to make that, that uh, alternative fuel um, we see happen out there. There was a big run up in the price of soybean oil and soybean meal and those kind of things uh, not too long ago, seeing some level of stabilization there and, and some stuff coming back down the other direction. But as you're looking at at soybean oil um, and crush rates and those kind of things, how how are those stacking up now comparatively to what we saw back in you know April and May uh, when we saw that huge spike up in the price of soybean oil? Well, first of all, remember the number one exporter of bean meal in the world is Argentina. The number one exporter of bean oil in the world is Argentina. So bean oil and bean meal exports, the number one exporter is Argentina. Argentina completely had a complete meltdown. Uh, again, they seem to do this every five to seven years. Yeah, they have a good track record of that. You know, interest rates at 65%, inflation running at 70%, happy times. So, uh, you know, um, and so how the farmers survived down there is they 
keep all their soybeans in storage because in the local currency, the value of that inventory keeps going up every single day, every single week, because the currency continues to crash. If you look at a, a, a chart of the Argentine peso, it's just a free falling currency for years. So yeah. the government said, we need, we need capital. You know, we need currency. So it created a two-tier currency system where they would give those who were selling soybean meal and soybean oil, they would give them a favorable currency rate versus those that did not sell it. Meaning that if you decide to be a seller, we're going to give you a special rate so you get a better price than everybody else. And so it worked. A bunch of bean oil was dumped on the market. A bunch of bean meal was dumped on the market. Um, China bought it, <laughs> bought a bunch, and um, uh, and that's put it's, that's been a depressant on the market, Casey, because that was a huge amount of supply all at one time, and it satisfied the need in the market for a little while. Now, now I don't know if that's a permanent change. I mean, is, Ar is Argentina going to is is that what Argentina is going to do from now on? They're not going to be able to hold, or they're not going to be willing to hold all this inventory because the government's going to keep enticing them to sell. I don't really know. We've not been down this road before. They've never really done this before. But it is something to pay attention to. But it has been a short-term depressant on the market. And remember, the soybean price uh, you know, really took off. So uh, you're getting to a point where the price of soybeans is becoming uneconomical to crush meal and to crush oil. Because at some point, the, the, you know, with crude oil prices 85 there's only so much demand for renewable diesel. And, you know, with hog numbers down in Europe, with hog numbers down in China, with hog numbers flat in the U.S., the biggest user of bean meal, you know, I'm not sure the bean meal demand is there, Casey, right now. So I think what it means is I think it means the soybean prices are going to top. Uh, if, if you have the, the crush margin falling and you have demand for both your derivative products um, um, let's say stagnant, and you just had the largest exporter of bean oil and bean meal in the world, dump a bunch of supplies in the market. I think it means that probably soybeans have priced it all in and we need to bring soybean prices back down to where it's economical to produce bean meal and boil, bean oil again and get that crush margin going again. So I think uh, where I think we're at, I think that we're, we're at a point where soybean prices themselves probably need to fall. Um, and and probably bean meal and bean oil need to need to do as well a little further. So, right on. Okay, well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you have going on at Hack Financial. What's the best way? Oh, let's do this real quick. We were talking about this before we got started, and we are in we're in the, the the height of hurricane season here coming up upon us. Here, talk about your hurricane forecast for this year and, and what you see happening. Back in spring. We came out with our hurricane forecast. If you remember, or if anyone knows, almost every single weather forecaster was predicting a hyper record-setting hurricane season in the Atlantic of all time. We came out and argued that we didn't think that that was going to be the correct assessment. We came out and said that we thought that the hurricane season would be far, far less active uh, than um, anyone was predicting. In fact, we think we thought it would be well below the last couple of years. We also said we didn't think that the Gulf of Mexico would be in high at high risk this season, meaning we've had, you know, the last couple of years, the Gulf was so active. Um, and all the forecasters were saying that the Gulf was going to be active again. 
And we pushed back and said, you know, we, you know, our work said, if we're going to get into hurricanes that impact the United States, it's going to be more, more of the East Coast um, than not. And, um, and quite frankly, the hurricane season has been even weaker than we thought, Casey. I mean, we were right. correct with the forecast. It's even been, even been weaker than even we thought. But nonetheless, we pretty much got the forecast correct. We have not had Gulf storms. We don't expect we're going to have Gulf storms. Um, you know, the, the hurricane season is not over yet. We have until October 15th for the active period to end. And, it, and, and we still think there could be some uh, hurricanes that impact the East Coast. Um, but we're running out of time. You know, this Fiona that's there now, it's still a little trailer to tell, but it looks like it's going to curve back out into the ocean. It could impact the East Coast, but doesn't look like it. You know, and, and once you clear that storm out of the way, Casey, we're getting in October. So, I mean, we're kind of right. we're kind of running out of time. But but having said all that, you know, first of all, it's wonderful to have a, a, a very low, low active hurricane season. Um, and, and I hope it stays that way because obviously – for for humanitarian reasons and economic reasons, it's wonderful not to have those uh, incredible impacts to regions of the United States. Um, but we are definitely uh, proud of the forecast we did make at a time that was highly contrarian, um, and for the most part, proved to be correct. So, um, okay. there you go, folks. Sean Hackett, right again. That's what. <laughs> that's what. That's the takeaway there. So. <laughs> There is, uh, I do remember listening to those reports going in uh, to the spring, going into uh, the summer, that this was going to be a very highly active um, hurricane season, and it's it's been nothing, nothing of the sort. So, well, it's you know because La Nina, you almost say, oh, well, it's right. La Nina, you know, it's going to be act. Well, you know, we we always try to stress it's just, no two La Nina years are ever exactly the same. Everyone right. tries to say, well, the last two years were La Nina. That means this. <laughs> There's all kinds of other variables that, that interact with the La Nina that determine what's going to happen. And we always try to, to tell people you need to get away from these blanket statements of La Nina means all these things. Well, it could, it may not. And we try to be very clear about what, what these other variables are. And that's what allowed us to make this contrarian forecast. There were other variables like the cold South Atlantic Ocean that hadn't been there for the last couple of years that said to us, we weren't going to get that kind of an active season. The very, very active Saharan dust um, season where the, you know, the dust that blows off of Africa was extremely strong this season, uh, much stronger than we'd seen in the last couple of years. You know, those are you know, a positive quasi binding oscillation. We had a negative quasi binding oscillation last year. A lot of different things that said based upon our work that people were making a mistake by just saying, well, it's La Nina, it's it's always going to be an active season, and I, it, that is a right. good lesson to learn. Um, not just to take Lania and say it always means certain things. There are trends, there are commonalities, there are things that rhyme, but there's also things that can be very very different. And this is a classic example of pro. I, I guess I right now I think it's the quietest hurricane season we've had in 25 years in a major La Nina. <laughs> right. If that, is a right. if that doesn't confound the conventional thing, I don't know what does, but it's a great lesson for those that are interested in weather. Be very, very careful of someone who just makes blanket statements about El Nino, La Nina. If it was that easy, if it was that easy, um, you know, predicting weather would be a super simple, but it's a lot more complicated than that. So that is a true statement, Sean. All right, man. 
Good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We go over a lot of our weather cycles, how we make our weather forecast, how we look at capital flows or our fundamental work and, and such forth and so on for everyone to take a look at what we do and how we do it to see if we could be of some value to your listeners. Right on. Take a look at that. There's a lot of good information out there Sean puts out there and, and nothing to subscribe to his service that he's got because he, he sends me his stuff that he sends out and there's some really good information that you're not hearing anywhere else. Just like what you hear him talk about here, stuff that you're not hearing anywhere else. So Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. It's always an honor and a privilege. And I, I always appreciate the opportunity, Casey. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So I have booked the uh, Moving Iron Summit dates for next year, um, September 11th, 12th, and 13th, back in Nashville at the uh, Hilton Hotel downtown there. So um, if you're interested in getting more information about that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I can get you some more information on it. Very preliminary. I just booked uh, like yesterday. So I'll have more information about booking rooms and those kind of things coming up here directly. So uh, if you want to find more information about what I've got going on, check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can go find me on Facebook, or sorry, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this on the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. You can also go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and all the blog posts that I have up there as well. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be submitting my last uh series in the uh, dichotomy of um change that we see on on uh on customer basis and i'll have that out there so it'll be like a five-part series so check that out and uh if you want to copy of that i can email it to you but it'll be up there on the email as well or up there on the pod the up there on the website as well so check that out so with that i am casey seymour with sean hackett let's be smart folks out axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work.